we will actually kind of finish up today. So that is uh, that is good. We were we've been uh, going through the doctrines of grace and the solas, and today we will finish up, and then um, next week I believe is communion. Right, next week is communion. So you know, just prepare your hearts through the week for communion. Um, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dig in. Father, thank you that we can that we can just gather here, Lord, and sing praises to your name. Lord, may our may our hearts today truly adore you. Father, we have weeks that are filled with the hustle and bustle and the rat race and oftentimes we think of you for 20 minutes as we read your word or pray for a little bit Lord and then the world consumes our mind the rest of the day with cares of the world Lord that can easily easily Father strangle us from seeing your beauty and your majesty and your glory and so Lord I pray that within this next half hour Father you would clear our minds of all of these things Lord and that our hearts and our minds and our souls would be solely upon you and your word and what you tell us Father may we be people that bring you glory and honor in everything that we do so Father please come now your spirit and accompany the preaching of your word Lord Rest upon each and every person here today, Father, or those that are watching on the video, that, Father, you would reach to the depths of their soul and that you would show each and every one of us your glory in your name. Amen. So, over the last nine weeks or so, we have been talking on the doctrines of grace and the solas. So when we look at the doctrines of grace, we see that we have this, this is pretty much what we've been looking at is a foundation for our salvation, essentially, that we look at our salvation that it has nothing to do with us because we are radically depraved. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so far, therefore, we are this corpse that can't respond. And so God, sovereign love, brings us to life in his electing love in his choosing of us and we see Christ's death for us and then God's grace that is irresistible and his persevering grace that he gives to us to persevere in the faith and we see that our salvation is not only that but it's but when we look at the gospel and we see these truths of the doctrines of grace we find them in scripture and scripture alone and we've talked about that and we see that it's through Christ alone, by grace alone, in faith alone, in these solas. So our natural response can only be what we're going to talk about today. When we look at our salvation, or we look at anything that we do spiritually, we look at it in this sense of to God be the glory alone. No glory on our part. The one who believes that he has accepted Jesus as a savior has something to boast about in heaven 
Because he can come or she can come to another person and say, well, I chose God. It was my own ability. It was my own mind. It was my own choice. And so they have something to brag about in heaven. But the one who understands their depravity and God's massive amount of grace and the aloneness of grace and faith in Christ has nothing to boast about in heaven, but will continually glorify God for all that he has done. So we come to soli deo gloria, to God be the glory. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. I'm not sure if this is in there or not. That's why I'm having you turn. I know I added some things in here. So Romans chapter 11. And the beauty of what we've been going through, these 10 things that we've gone over, the solas and the doctrines of grace, are very clear and very evident within the letter to the Romans. We can see them all. But in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, look at the very last verse of chapter 11. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now this word glory, it means praise or honor or glory or majesty. Right? We, we see the, the, the grandeur of this word of glory. He deserves all the praise. He deserves all the majesty. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the honor. We deserve none of that because of who he is. This is what he does. God tells us in the Bible, in Isaiah, two passages, that he shares this glory with no one. He shares it with no one. Isaiah 42, 8, he says this, I am the Lord, Yahweh, that is my name, my glory, my praise, my honor, my majesty, I give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11, Isaiah puts it this way, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Now turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Daniel chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, or on your phones to Daniel chapter 4. I always get Daniel mixed up, and I go too far, and then I got to go... In Daniel chapter 4, verse 24. So Daniel chapter 4 talks about Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar and the tree. So this is what I want about. I want you to think about what happens... What happens to Nebuchadnezzar when he robs God of his glory? When he robs God of his praise, of his honor, of his majesty, right? And we oftentimes can put ourselves in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. Look at verse 30. If you look at verse 30, chapter 4, verse 30, this is what Nebuchadnezzar. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, right? He's walking on top of the palace is what he's doing. And he says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built? 
right there, the word I, which I have built, how? By my mighty power, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. You see, what Nebuchadnezzar was claiming here is what Paul attributes to God, that Babylon was for him. It was through him, and it was to him. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was claiming that all this was for him. Now, what was God's response to him? Look at verses 31 and 32. This is what, how God responds to him. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall press over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. See, this is God's answer to one who wants the glory, one who wants the fame, one who wants all the popularity. Look at this great church that I have built. As we walk the campuses of these mega churches. Oh, I am the founder of this church. No, no one founds a church. The church is God's bride. Christ builds his church. No pastor, no elders, no one should take any glory for what God brings to them. Or what God does to them for the growth of the church. We can have the same thing. Look at this kingdom I have built. Look at this 401k I have built. Look at the retirement I have built. Look at the homes we have built. We can bring it all down. We can put ourselves in the Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. And what does God do? He can take it away just like that, right? That's what it says. And before the words were still in the king's mouth. Here came the response. Here came the response. Brothers and sisters, we are to give the glory to God alone because he shares it with no one. He shares it with no one. Then, the glory that alone belongs to God is seen in three areas I want us to look at. This glory he shares with no one, this praise he shares with no one, It was first of all seen in creation. God is glorified in creation. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's ask a question. Let's go back in the time, right? If we go back into eternity past, we have an eternity past before anything was created. We have the Father, God the Father. We have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit, Right? All in together, they are loving one another. They are satisfied with one another. They have no need of anything, right? They have no need of anything. So why does God create the heavens and the earth? Isn't that a fair question to ask? Why would a being who is completely sufficient, completely happy, dwelling in perfect love and needs absolutely nothing, why would he create the heavens and the earth? 
Jonathan Edwards wrote a whole book on that called The Ends for Which God Created the Earth. But why? Have you ever asked that question? Why did God create? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's for his glory. It is for his praise. It's for his honor and his majesty. That is why he creates. When we read the account of Genesis chapter 1, our minds should be sitting there glorying in who God is. Right? We had apple pie last night, and it was delicious apple pie that came from a tree, that came from a seed that God created. Did we glorify God for that apple pie? Or do we glorify the person who made the apple pie? I glorified the person that made the apple pie because I'd like another apple pie. <laughs> but those are the things. We see the ultimate end is God's glory. This is what John Murray states. God is the source of all things in that they have proceeded from him. He is the creator. He is the agent through whom all things subsist and are directed to their proper end. And he is the last end to whose glory all things will, re will rebound. That's what John Murray says. Psalms 119, 1 through 3 puts it this way when we look at creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever looked just up and seen the Milky Way? Dick took a picture of the Milky Way, and it's beautiful, right? The heavens declare that glory. Are we moved by it? Are we stirred by it? Do our souls look at that Milky Way and see the insignificance of who we are and the grandeur of who God is and what he allows us to see? Do we glorify him in it? Do we praise him for the Milky Way? The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. But the heavens declare his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 puts it this way. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. This is God. You and I sit here today as what? Created beings. We have this idea. What's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, here you go. This is what it is. Right there. Whom I created for my glory. You and I, as believers, blood-bought be believers, that God has called to himself, what are we to do? We are to glorify we're to glorify him. As we look at creation, we have to understand this one thing. That God is the uncaused first cause. Therefore, he must exist and he must be the creator of all. Let me say that again. As we look at creation, God is the uncaused first cause who must exist and be creator of all. So we see that creation itself glorifies God. It is the only thing 
that we look at with our eyes that we can be in awe in that can stir us to glorify God also is that creation. Secondly, what also glorifies God is the gospel and salvation. We've talked 10 weeks about this, so we won't spend much time on this. We have to understand that salvation is not our plan. Salvation is the plan of God and God alone. It is only His plan. It's not a plan from a priest, a pope, a rabbi, a guru, a pastor. It's not any of our plans. Only God could plan a salvation that is void of any human merit. When we look at other religions, it's always human merit. It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus. It's Muhammad plus. It's our good works. It's our good deeds. But God's plan of salvation is what? Is it work-based? Yes, it is work-based, but it's only the work of one person. Our salvation is based on the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is what it is. And God is the only one that can come up with that plan. That had nothing to do with you. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. It is a gift of grace, and it is poured out by His mercy on the cross. That is why to Him alone belongs the glory for our salvation. You didn't walk an aisle. You didn't raise a hand. You didn't say a prayer. It was God's work. He's doing the regenerating work in you. Let's give Him the proper place for our salvation. Because it's all of him. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, this is what he has done, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is why you and I respond is because God has shown in our hearts the light of Jesus Christ. And it's absolutely irresistible. And it's to His glory alone that we give Him. God is also glorified in the everlastingness of the Scriptures. The everlastingness of the Scriptures, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Scripture alone is what stands the test. How come this is what's always attacked? But yet it stands the test. It's still here. It stands the test. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. We see that God is glorified in Christ and the work that he came to do and the work that he accomplished. In John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. As he heads for the cross in his high priestly prayer. God is glorified in our salvation because it's by His grace alone. We read it in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 all the time. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is the outward pouring of His mercy. Titus 3, 5. He saved us. We can't lose that part. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the salvation that we have, the gospel that he gives us, is to bring him glory and glory alone. It is not our gospel. Brothers and sisters, feel free to preach the gospel that saved you with boldness to every lost person you come in touch with. 
and you let God deal with it because it's his word, not ours. It's his plan, not ours. Preach the gospel to each other. Share what God is doing in our lives with each other that he may receive the glory alone. Third, third, you and I glorify God. You and I glorify God. We read it earlier, right? Whom I'm formed, who I created for my glory. Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth and God breathes life into him. Like face to face. God breathes life into Adam. And what was Adam supposed to do? Glorify God. He was to glorify God. That was his sole purpose, to glorify God and have this fellowship with God. He was to glorify him. God did not create Adam because he was alone and needed somebody else. We already know that he was completely sufficient and completely happy and completely in love within the Trinity of himself. He creates you and I so that we would bring him glory. The Westminster Confession of Faith starts off with this question. What is the chief end of man? Does anybody know the answer? The chief end of man. Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our chief end. Our chief end is to glorify him forever. So how do we glorify him? How do we glorify him? We, we glorify him in how we are, how we are, in who we are, the, the, the people that we are, right? We, we glorify him with, <coughs> with our minds. What do, we, what do we think about him, right? A.W. Tozer, in, in the book called uh, Knowledge of the Holy, he says the, the, the most important thing about you is what you think when God comes into your mind. That's the most important thing about you is what you think when God comes into your mind. So we are to glorify God with our minds, with our thoughts, with what we think about, what we meditate on. We're to glorify God with our personalities. Just who we are brings glory to God. Some of us can be real jovial and real nice and very extroverted, and yet some of us might be <coughs> to ourselves and like the quiet and want to be introverted. But bring glory to God in, in those aspects of who you are. Be you. Don't be somebody to impress somebody else. Be you. Because that's what brings God glory. With your smile. Smile every once in a while. Don't be a bah humbug. Smile. You know, put a smile on your face. We got too many people that walk around with bah humbugs. Oh, I gotta go to work. I mean, that's me, you know. But smile, right? Bring a smile. We, we, we glorify God because he's given us the ability to do what? To smile. So smile. Greet somebody nicely. Right? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So that's the question. What do you and I have that we didn't receive? Our minds, our personalities, our smiles. Those are things that are given to us by God for his glory. 
to glorify Him and Him alone. We should use those things. Even our sadness can glorify God. That can even glorify God. How about we glorify God by our desires, our spiritual desires, right? He's changed us. We're brand new. The old has passed away, and the new has come because we are new creatures created in Christ Jesus. And so we have new desires. These glorify God. Our longing for more of Him. Do you long for more of Him? Do you want more of Him? Because He's the only one that satisfies. He's the only one that brings true joy. Do we long for more of Him? Do you have a desire to pray? Do you have a desire to read? Do you have a desire to come and sing and sing praises to Him and lift His name high? If you have those desires, those are from Him. And they're to Him. And they're through Him. So that He will receive the glory alone. Your longing for Him, your desire to pray, your desire to read, your desire to sing praises, those are all the working of the Holy Spirit within your heart. And they're to bring Him glory alone. They're to bring Him glory alone. What about in our temptation? Do we glorify God in our temptation? We do. We glorify God in victory over temptation. Right? When you and I are attacked from every angle by, this, by, by, by Satan, when, when sin is around us everywhere, temptation is bombarding us. What keeps you from falling? That's the question you ask. You have to ask, why did I not fall? Because I'm strong enough? Because of my own ability? No, it's not. It's because God is the one working in us. That is why you have victory over temptation because He is the one that provides the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Look for the door of escape, right? He says victory over temptation is because he is faithful to do what? To provide the way of escape. He is faithful to be sure you are not being tempted beyond your ability. But he always provides the way of escape. Look, open the eyes. Our victory over temptation is because he provides the way of escape. But what about our spiritual work? Glorifying God in our spiritual gifting, right? Whether your gifting is preaching or teaching or it's hospitality or it's encouragement or it's maybe financial, that's where your, 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 your gift is. Uh, whatever your gift is, we are to glorify God in that gift. Why? Because it's a gift. It wasn't something you came up with. God is the one who has gifted you that way. So we are to glorify God in this. You and I, we accomplish nothing without the Spirit's help. That Spirit in Romans 8 that dwells in us. That is why we accomplish stuff. 
but we don't accomplish anything without the Spirit. We don't stir up revival. We went through the, 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 the Christi, uh, Christianity in America thing in Sunday school. You know, the first great awakening, the revivals that they had. That was the preaching of God's Word. That was the Spirit that was doing that work. It wasn't us. We don't stir up revival. We don't convert a soul. We don't save anybody, right? This was the person that uh, saved me. No, Christ saved you. That was the person that gave you the gospel. But Christ is the one that saved you. You and I don't convert anybody. The Spirit does all the work. This is what we do, our spiritual work. What we do for God is to bring Him glory alone because He is the one that does it. You and I must remember that any spiritual work or victory is only from God's Spirit. So we see that God glorifies himself in creation. He glorifies himself in the gospel and in our salvation. He is glorified alone in who you and I are. So where does that leave us? How do we apply it? How do we apply it? Because daily we battle with this word called pride. That's what we battle with. We battle with the word called pride. We do not want to give in. Ultimately, we want to be our own God. We want all the glory, right? That's what we want. And our deepest desires, we want the glory. We want the fame. We want the popularity. That's what we want. We really want to be like the Pharisees. We want people to look at us as we walk down the road and go, oh, wow. Look at how godly that person is. We struggle with pride. We struggle with arrogance. We all have a degree of pompousness in us. So what, what do we do? How do we do this? Well, we have to battle that, right? Do not seek your own fame. Don't seek your own glory. Don't be out for it. Do not seek your own popularity. Don't do those things. What are we to do then? Then we are to seek the fame and the honor and the glory of the one who is the glory of God. That is what we are to do. To seek the fame, the honor, the praise, the majesty of the one who is the glory of God. Listen to Hebrews 1.3 as it talks about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high we seek Christ's fame we seek Christ's glory we seek to bring him glory and him glory alone why because he is the glory of God he is the radiance of God's glory he is the exact imprint of God's nature he is the one in Isaiah 6 who is seated on the throne. This is what we do. We seek His glory. How do we do this? How do we seek His glory? How do we bring Him glory, right? How do I bring Him glory? Well, in everything you and I do, we do to His glory. 
right? We always quote the verse, right? It's a lovely verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is what we do. Every little minute aspect of our lives are to bring glory to God. Why? Because he created you. He formed you. Why? For his glory. That is our purpose, brothers and sisters. Our purpose in this life as believers, as saved people, is to bring glory to God in everything we think, in everything we see, in everything we say, and in everything we do. Because we are created for his glory. So to close, I just want to close back with Romans 11. I want to read the whole passage. This is what Paul says. After he talks about this great salvation we have, us being grafted in, us being chosen, justification by faith alone, sanctification, our adoption as children to him. This is what he says as he talks about this great salvation from chapter 1 to the end of chapter 11. He comes to this conclusion. And may you and I come to this conclusion too when we think through it. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your work. Lord, may we be people. May we be your children, Lord. Just not here at Faith Bible Church, but your children, your church universally. May we bring you glory and that glory to be to you alone. Father, we read about it in Revelations where we are all around the throne giving you praise and you glory alone. May our lives, Lord, now do the same things. May we be people, Father, that in whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do all things to your glory. In your name, amen.